here's what John writes. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. <coughs> Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have them. We have been looking at the Gospel of John, and we're going to continue on. We are in John 12 this morning. Uh, just a big picture of the Gospel of John, 21 chapters. Uh, the first 11 chapters cover the, the three-year ministry of Jesus. Uh, when we get to chapter 12 through 21, it uh, moves into the final week of Jesus' life, the Passion Week. And so 12 through 21 covers the Passion Week, uh, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. And then remember, uh, six weeks of post-resurrection appearances that Jesus made. And then uh, the book of John closes. So chapters 12 through 21 really cover about seven weeks in time. And uh, we're going to jump into John chapter 12. Uh, this takes place uh, during the last week of Jesus' life. And we're going to look at a message entitled, Extravagant Love. Because John 12 records one of the greatest, uh, most sacrificial acts of love uh, recorded in all of the scriptures. So uh, let's uh, let's look at this, and uh, let's look at the context. John chapter 12, John starts off by writing, six days before the Passover. So uh, he's given us the time frame. This is six days before the Passover, six days before Jesus is on the cross. Some historians pinpoint this date as March 27, 33 AD. Six days before Jesus goes to the cross. Where is he? Well, he's in, he says he came to Bethany. Uh, we looked at this uh, last week. Uh, Bethany, located two miles east of Jerusalem. And Bethany was the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And uh, Jesus worked that great miracle in, in, in Bethany. And so, uh, six days before the cross, Jesus is in Bethany. And it says, here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. And so there is a dinner given to honor Jesus. Now this story that we're going to look at this morning is found in the Gospel of John, but it's also found in two other Gospels. Matthew writes about it, and Mark writes about it. So when we read the story in Matthew and Mark, we get a few more uh, details. And when we read the story in, in Matthew and Mark, we discover that they tell us where this dinner took place. Matthew 26, 6. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper. So this was not at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, although they were there. They lived in Bethany. 
It was at the home of a man by the name of Simon the leper. Well, we're introduced to uh, the characters that are there in this story. Jesus, obviously, is the, is the main character. As we read the text, Mary's there, Martha's there, Lazarus is there. Post-resurrected Lazarus. Uh, just a few months ago, Jesus had raised him from the dead. And so, it's, it's Jesus, it's Mary, Martha, Lazarus. The disciples were all there. And specifically, as we'll see, because he speaks up in this passage, Judas Iscariot is there. And then, obviously, Simon the leper is there, because it was at his, his home. Now, the question we want to ask is, well, this is a dinner given in honor of Jesus. Who initiated this? And we might think, well, maybe Mary, Martha, and Lazarus did. Maybe it was a dinner to thank Jesus for... Raising Lazarus from the dead, they wanted to honor him. But I think more likely, this is just speculation, but this is uh, this was from Simon the leper. I think Simon was one who, uh, reading between the lines, Jesus is healed of leprosy. Uh, historians tell us that right outside of Bethany was a leper uh, colony. Maybe Simon was one of the ten lepers that Jesus healed. Remember that story that Jesus healed ten lepers and only one of them came back to say thank you? Maybe it was Simon. But if I were to take an educated guess, this is probably a dinner given by Simon, who is a former leper, out of gratitude for what Jesus has done for him. In fact, author Max Lucado writes... In these uh, descriptive terms, he writes, Simon never forgot what Jesus had done for him. Simon had never forgot how, how Jesus had healed him of leprosy. By the way, in just a few minutes, we're going to gather around the Lord's table and uh, engraved in the front of the communion table, this do in remembrance of me that that Jesus commanded us to partake of the bread and the cup wine, so that we would never forget what he's done for us. So here's Simon the leper. says he could not forget what Jesus had done for him. Where there had been nothing but a stub, now there was a finger for his daughter to hold. Where previously his life had been lived in quarantine and isolation, he had to yell, unclean, unclean, if anybody came close to him. Now he was able to have joyful times with people. Actually, in his home, with a table full of food, he was able to host a party. He was able to hug people. He gave this dinner to thank Jesus for what he had done for him. Well, in the midst of the dinner, to honor Jesus, something dramatic, something totally unexpected takes place. And uh, let's look at the calculated and extravagant expression of love. Calculated and extravagant expression of love. In the midst of the dinner, Mary shows up. And Mary shows up with an alabaster box of ointment or perfume. Now, as you think about this, this was not a spontaneous act. I mean, this, this, this dinner was in the home of Simon the leper who lived in Bethany. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived in Bethany. 
Mary would have given this some thought. Mary would have calculated this. Mary would have pre-planned this. Mary had to bring this ointment from her house to the house of Simon. She had this calculated and planned. And it says in verse 3, Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. One of the commentators writes that nard, this ointment, this perfume, was a rosy-colored, sweet-smelling perfume that comes from a plant that grows in the foothills of the Himalayas, India. That's one of the reasons it was it was so expensive. It was imported, expensive perfume. We're going to find out how expensive in just a little bit. It's interesting that in some of the other gospel accounts that uh, Matthew, Mark used the word alabaster box. That this perfume was in an alabaster box and it was 12 ounces of expensive perfume. Did a little research on the alabaster box and here's what I discovered during biblical times. When a young woman arrived at the age to marry, her family would buy an alabaster box for her and fill it with ointment, perfume. The size of the box and the value of the ointment was to display the amount of wealth her family acquired. When a man would ask her to marry him, she would respond by breaking the box at his feet. Dear, you never did that for me many years ago. You're an alabaster box. You never got me expensive. Oh, okay. Oh. So here's an alabaster box. Uh, it was a made of a hard stone resembling white marble. The boxes were sealed with wax to prevent the perfume from leaking out. Well, that was the culture. That was the tradition. Mary interrupts this dinner in honor of Jesus, and she breaks this uh, alabaster box. Uh, the text in Matthew and Mark says that she pours it over Jesus' head. John says she pours it on his feet and and wipes his feet with her hair. Critics of the Bible would say, ah, there you see, two different stories. The Bible doesn't match up. No, no, they're recording the separate details of of, of this incident. They're not contradictory. They're telling the story. When you read it, it complements one another. She poured it on Jesus' head. She poured it on Jesus' feet. The Nelson Bible commentary says the custom of the day was to anoint the heads of guests. Anointing Jesus' head was an act of honor. Anointing Jesus' feet was a display of devotion and and love. Remember Psalm 23? Now notice my head with oil. And so Mary interrupts the dinner. She breaks this expensive alabaster box and pours 12 ounces of this expensive perfume on Jesus' head and on Jesus' feet. Well, as we go through the storyline here, that leads to uh, the criticism, verses 4 through 6, because this, uh, 
this act did not go over too well at the dinner given in Jesus' honor. And Mary gets some heavy criticism for what she does. Did you discover that no matter sometimes what you do, you're going to be criticized? Especially in our polarized culture. Uh, no matter what we do, criticism can, can come our way. Speaking from a person who's been a, tended to be a people pleaser his whole life, I've, I've come to discover that you can't please everybody. And here Mary is doing this incredible expression and act of love and devotion. And what does she get? She gets criticism. That's why 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Paul writes, So we make it our goal to please Him. Can I simplify our lives for a little bit and just say, our goal in life is to please God. Sometimes that brings about criticism. And Mary got her fill of criticism. We read about it in beginning in verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And Matthew and Mark record that it wasn't just Judas Iscariot that wasn't happy. Uh, let me read uh, Mark's parallel account. Uh, Mark 14, 4 and 5. Mark writes these words. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for a, more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Matthew says the disciples were upset. So Mary suffers this, uh, this, this criticism, and they're saying, and Judas Iscariot says, hey, we, we could have sold this. Uh, this was worth a, a year's wages. Uh, some of your Bibles, uh, King James says 300 denarii. A denarii was a day's wage. If we were to translate this into today's economy, this perfume was worth maybe forty or $50,000. Or 12 ounces? Uh, it's forty thousand dollars. That's so. That's that's over three thousand dollars an ounce. That is expensive perfume. And Judas is mad. And John gives us some insight into why he's mad. Judas was the treasurer, and he regularly was what dipping into the till. He was embezzling funds. And I said, well, what was? Why did Jesus and the disciples have a, a money bag, a, a money box? And um, when you do a little further research, you discover that uh, people supported Jesus' ministry by giving money to him. We read about it in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, that there were, were people who, who don't, donated funds. And so uh, the disciples had a, 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 a money bag, a money box, and Judas was really mad because he was Dipping into the till. Someone said what the disciples viewed as a waste, Jesus saw as worship and as an extravagant expression of love. 
And so we read about the, the correction, and, and Jesus speaks up right away. And he defends Mary. And uh, we, we read these, uh, these words uh, earlier, but let's look at it again. John chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. In six days, Jesus is going to be on the cross. Soon he'll be in a tomb. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have and so Jesus, uh, after the, the individuals there harshly rebuke what Mary had done, uh, Jesus speaks up, defends her, and corrects her. Well, the story concludes in uh, verses 9 through 11. Says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came. So, remember, Bethany is two miles from Jerusalem. This is Passover time. Uh, the normal population of Jerusalem would have been about a quarter of a million at Passover time. It would be four or five times that amount. And so there are many people that uh, are coming to Jerusalem for Passover. They hear that Jesus is in Bethany, but you know they're also curious to see Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus has become a little bit of a spectacle. Come see the man who was dead and now is alive again. And it says, the crowd came, a large crowd, not just because Jesus was there, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Verse 10, so the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So the religious leaders said, we're not only going to do away with Jesus, but we need to do away with the evidence here, with, with Lazarus. And because of Lazarus and what Jesus did, a lot more people are believing in Jesus and the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, are feeling threatened. And so the plot continues to do away with Jesus and to do away with Lazarus. Well, that's, uh, that's the story of the extravagant love that uh, took place at this dinner party uh, to honor Jesus at the home of Simon the leper. And uh, as we conclude this morning, uh, let's just think about three uh, life lessons, uh, application truths that we can learn from uh, this wonderful story that uh, Matthew and Mark and John uh, have recorded for us. Here's the first one. That love is not passive, but love is active. Love, love is not something that is that is that sits back and is passive, but love acts. Love does. Uh, Bob Goff wrote a book uh, about ten years ago or so entitled Love Does. Gary Chapman's written a book entitled Love is a Verb. Love is not passive, but when you love someone, you look for a way to express it. You look for a way to communicate it. You look for a way to what? To act upon it. And Mary, this tremendous act of love, this, this calculated and costly act of love, expresses her love to Jesus. 
taking perfume that's worth forty or fifty thousand dollars and anointing her Savior, Jesus. In just a few days, Jesus is going to demonstrate an act of love. He's going to be in the upper room with his with his disciples and it's right before the cross, and they're observing the Passover meal. And you know the story, John 13, we'll look at it shortly. It says, he loved them to the end. And what does Jesus do? He, he notices that no one's done the lowly task of washing the feet. And Jesus takes out his outer garment, puts a, a towel around his waist. He bends over, the creator of the universe, bends over and kneels down, and one by one washes the stinky, smelly feet of the disciples. And even Judas is scared. Jesus demonstrates true love. Because love isn't passive. Love is active. Later on, the Apostle John wrote, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. That's how God loves us. It's a pursuing love. It's a sacrificial love. But God demonstrated his love toward us while, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this. And a man what? Lay down his life for his friends. Jesus was asked, what's, what's the greatest commandment by the religious leaders, by the lawyers who were trying to trap him? Jesus summarized all the law and the prophets in two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so we need to be reminded today that love uh, is not passive. Love is active. So the question we need to be asking is, well, how can we show our love to God and and how can, I, how can our love be active? And uh, Jesus told us uh, one of the ways we show our love is by keeping his commandments, by obeying him and following him. But we also need to ask the question, uh, if love is, is active, how can we love one another? What are some specific calculated ways in which we can demonstrate love to our family, to our church family, and to our community, and to those that are in need and Secondly, we discover not only love is not passive but active, but extravagant love. Extravagant love is costly. It is, it is, it is costly. Mary took this ointment, this perfume, worth one year's salary. Use it to express your love. And love is costly. Extravagant love is, is calculated and it's costly. And, and, and that's what Jesus has done for us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only son. So that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting. It cost God something. Extravagant love is costly. But we need to think of love in more in terms of, not just in terms of, of our treasure, of our, of, our, of our money, because extravagant love can be expressed in other ways. 
Extravagant love can be expressed in the gift of time. We discover that our, our most valuable commodity is not really money, but it's, but it's time. Extravagant love is costly. How do our children and grandchildren spell love? I'll tell you how they spell it. T-I-M-E. They want time. They want your, our time and our attention. And so, uh, extravagant love is costly. It may cost us monetarily. It will certainly cost us in our time. It also cost us with our talents and abilities. We express our love to God and others by, by serving, by using our giftedness to, to serve others and, and to, to minister. As I look around our church building, I see evidences of people who have used their gifts and their talents to bless us. I walk into our fellowship hall, I see a, a quilt up on the wall. Uh, it's a snapshot of our church from about 15 years ago. And Ruby, cool, lovingly with her talent and ability, um, handmade, handmade that quilt as an expression of, of love. I think there's a painting there as well that uh, Jean Osborne made. Jean began to paint in the latter years of his life, and uh, uh, there's a painting uh, in there. I think it's in there, or it used to be in there. Oh, now I'm going to double check. <laughs> Gene made a lovely painting as an expression of love. I looked at our beautifully decorated auditorium this morning, and, and somebody somebody took some, some time to, to initiate and to plan and to, to, to use their gifts to display their love. You see a picture through that um, picture glass picture window there. There's a picture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's kneeling and uh, that, that prayer that he made right before he went to the cross. Mary Radcliffe made that 10,000 beads. It's an expression of love. We could go on and on. There's many, many other uh, ways uh, that people express their love, but extravagant love is costly. It will cost. It will cost our, our treasure. It, it might cost our finances. It will cost time. It will cost an investment of our time. But thirdly and lastly, here's a third truth. Live your life so that love is your legacy. Live your life so that love is your legacy. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that the legacy of Mary in Scripture is that all three times that she's mentioned, the Gospels describe her as at the feet of Jesus. And that's the, that's the legacy of, of Mary. Mary's legacy is a legacy of love at the feet of Jesus. In fact, in Matthew's account of this story, in Matthew 26, 13, the words of Jesus, when Jesus speaks up to, to defend Mary about the criticism that she's receiving, in verse 13 of Matthew 26, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, 
wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world. What Mary has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus said, Mary's story will live on. And here it is, 2,000 years later. What are we talking about? We're talking about Mary's legacy of love. Because she loved Jesus. This one act of devotion, Jesus said, it'll be spread throughout the world. It will be Mary's legacy. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, after Paul writes that wonderful love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, chapter 14, verse 1, probably belongs in, in, in chapter 13, but Paul concludes that section by saying what? Pursue love. Follow after love. And so as we think about our our legacy, um, my encouragement to you is to live a life of loving God and loving people. And Mary did it in an extravagant, costly way. And she's remembered throughout the world, wherever the gospel is preached. Love is not passive, but active. Extravagant love is costly. Live your life so that love is your legacy. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful uh, for this uh, account, this story in the Gospels, recorded for us just six days before Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate expression of, of love, our Savior, shedding his blood, dying on a, a Roman cross, a horrific crucifixion for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And, Lord, I pray that, that you would encourage our hearts to think about how we can express love to you and love to others. Lord, it will be calculated it may be costly, but Lord, uh, it will be worth it. And Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. May we respond to that by loving others. Thank you for this opportunity we have uh, this morning to gather around uh, your table and in obedience to you, remember the cross, the, the great sacrifice that you made for us. May we never forget, may it encourage our hearts. Thank you in Jesus' name.